0: You can see from your outline, um, my little introduction um, illustration or sort of primer, uh, should give you pause. You've heard me talk about Disney before. You know how I feel about Disney, right? It's not my favorite place in the whole world. I don't like it at all. But what I can say one thing that I can say about um, Disneyland, Disney World, the whole Disney corporation and all their different stuff, is they've actually been sort of successful, would you say? I mean, we know, obviously, here in Southern California, we are a destination for people from all over the world, um, in part because of Disney. There are people who make the pilgrimage to Southern California, or to Florida, or to wherever it is that their closest Disney park is, for the simple reason of going and engaging with Disney. But we certainly know, too, that, that their reach is much larger than that. I mean, they're a multi-level corporation. They own many businesses. They're in the entertainment industry. Certainly, there are many of you who are parents who um, have hated Disney at one point or another because you've had to watch that movie 78 times in a row. Or you've had that one song that you cannot get out of your brain because your kids have been dancing around the room singing it. Right? The influence of Disney is pretty dramatic, and there's actually a really good reason for that. They were pioneers in a particular mode of thinking about their business development that even to this day is powerful and is replicated in a lot of different contexts. And if you've been around Disney enough, you've heard of Imagineering. Anyone heard of Imagineering? I've actually spent some time reading up on and and participating in some imagineering exercises. And here's what it is. I'll give you an example. Let's say that uh, California Adventure was going to build a new roller coaster. And they said, we need some people to think about this new roller coaster. What they would do is they would get a group of people into a room and they would say, okay, we're going to build a new roller coaster. What do we want it to do? And they would spend the next little while thinking about what that roller coaster looks like and what it does. But there are some rules to that discussion. And one of the rules that's so very important is that you may not say either of two words. You may not say but. And you may not say no. You're actually, your only sentences may begin with these two words. Yes or And let me give you an example. Let's say someone in the room who is imagining a brand new roller coaster. They say, you can dream of anything. What would be the coolest roller coaster you could possibly imagine? And somebody sat there and said, I want a roller coaster that takes me out of Earth's atmosphere and does a loop-to-loop around the moon and does a corkscrew around the tail of Halley's Comet before landing me back on Earth in a parachute. Now, of course, anyone who has an understanding of basic physics is going to say, but that's not going to work, or no, you're crazy. But what they say in this particular activity is that stops your elements of creativity and developing an idea of taking it to where it's possible. And in fact, if you think about space Mountain. Space Mountain is a fulfillment of Imagineering because although it is a roller coaster that doesn't go up into Earth's atmosphere, the feel and the development of it is that you actually journey into space. Now, you can argue whether or not it's effective in that, but that's the idea. It gives them a round of possibility where there's no sort of sense of we're going to start by saying what can't be. It always begins with what can be. In our text this morning from the book of Acts, Acts 9, we're living into that world of what can be. And it's a really interesting, it's a two-part sort of uh, narrative where we see two places in which the can be or what is possible in the work and the presence of Jesus Christ in the early church bears fruit uh, that is certainly that that someone, you know, in, in hearing the story would have said no or would have said but. Instead, Christ shows up through Peter, and we see a pretty incredible story. Let's begin with verse 32. Verse 32 says this. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda, There he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Okay, so now... If you don't know your biblical history, we are in the book of Acts. The book of Acts follows all the Gospels. And in the Gospels, we hear the story of the life, the death, and ultimately the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The book of Acts begins with the story of Uh, Christ's ascension to return to the Father. And so he started this early church, you know, in Acts 2 with Pentecost and the Holy Spirit. So we're seeing um, this thing that had started in Galilee with the ministry of Jesus and Jerusalem with some of its teaching, but also the crucifixion and the resurrection. Now we're starting to see it go out. So if you think of Um, If you think of Israel, okay, so Mediterranean Sea is here and Jerusalem is here in Israel where it still is today. If you go about 25 miles due west of Jerusalem, you're going to run into Lida, 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 however you want to pronounce that. It's going to be halfway between Jerusalem and what is modern-day Tel Aviv, which is on the Mediterranean Ocean. It means it's gone 25 miles now, but if you know Christ's ministry, Christ's ministry was all up here. And over here, and a little bit higher, uh, Caesarea Philippi. It didn't go this way that much. So the gospel is beginning to spread out in different places. In fact, this is the precursor to the great missionary journeys that ultimately a guy like Paul will take. He will take a very similar journey that Peter's making here, except he will go all the way to the coast and eventually end up covering the full of the Mediterranean and finally into Italy and Rome. So the gospel is beginning to go out. And it's going out to people like Aeneas. Now, how many of you know your etymology of Greek names? What type of name is Aeneas? It's Greek, right? Anyone who knows actually their ancient literature knows of the Odyssey and the Iliad. Aeneas is a character from that, those Greek works. Aeneas is a Greek name. But where did the story of Jesus start? It started in the Jewish world. So the story of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit opening up the gospel to all people, is showing itself up here. But here's how it's showing up. Notice the power of it. Aeneas is a Gentile. But he's obviously heard enough about these guys, the disciples, or the story of Jesus, or the gospel, or whatever, that Peter does this really interesting thing. There's no precursor to this. There's no explanation. There's no, like, let's get to know you sort of conversation. Peter simply does this. He found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him. Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. This is, this is not like one of those things where it's like, oh, I'm Peter. Here's my story. Here's who Jesus is. Here's all this stuff that you need to know about me that this might actually have power in your life. He doesn't have to do that. He just says, Aeneas, come on. Let's go. And it's enough that Aeneas knows the story that what does he do? Tell me what he does. What does he do? He gets up. But you totally miss something if you just say he got up. What is the adverb? Immediately. Now, I'm going to do a very deep Greek study of the word immediately here. You know what the word immediately means? Immediately. Tough, right? You've got, you're halfway to your seminary degree right now. Immediately means right now. So this is a guy who doesn't, he he probably never met Peter, but he's heard enough of the story that when Peter says to him, get up, he gets up. He's exposed to the power of the story that is spreading out enough that he says, I'm going to trust this. I'm going to live into that trust. Now, I want you to think about how you sometimes respond to the Spirit. When the Spirit prompts you, when the Spirit pokes you or moves you or even calls to you, is immediately your adverb? You know how long it took for Kristen and I to go to seminary before, you know, after God spoke to us about what it meant? For us to go, probably took us about three or four years with different conversations and different things. Ultimately it was clear we were supposed to go. But man, I can remember sitting at the table, column A, column B, is this what I'm supposed to do, God? What are you calling me to do? We do that, don't we, sometimes with our faith. God calls and we say, Well, oh, let me do a let me do a plan. Let me figure out the cost effectiveness of something like that. Let me think whether or not that fits. Perhaps immediately is a word that needs to enter our vocabulary when it comes to faith a little bit more, right? Perhaps it's one of those things where as we consider what God might be calling us to right now, even in our own places, in our own context, that person next door that you are hesitant to talk to for whatever reason. That neighbor who you just know that God has called you to go and encourage and pray for and invite into your home or whatever it is. Or that thing, that transformation, that thing that God has called you to give up and move away from or move towards and take part in. Instead of doing the cost benefit friends, instead of doing that, we need to live like Aeneas. Immediately. Because... Do you think that Aeneas' life was better off because of immediately? Is it a better life for Aeneas? How many years had he been paralyzed? Eight years paralyzed, and now all of a sudden, life changed. The world is open. You have the ability to explore. And in many ways, what we can see that as is not just engaging in faith, but then also leaving what was behind, behind. Not going back. Not turning to look and go, oh, I remember those times. Moving forward in what God has for us ahead. But then we get to the second story, and the second story is a little bit more involved. We read of Tabitha, verse 36. It says this, In Joppa, a little bit further down the road, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Nita was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Leda, they sent two men to him and urged him Please come at once. Okay, so let's begin the story, begin this explanation by saying, clearly, Tabitha is not simply a believer. Okay, she's not just somebody who knows and professes the name of Jesus. For her, in her life... Christ's gospel, the truth of who Jesus is, has taken deep root enough that she is a part of caring for the people around her deeply, right? We hear the descriptor of Tabitha. She's always what? What is she always doing? Doing good and helping the poor. That actually should sound familiar to you because you go back to the parable that Jesus told of the sheep and the goats. She's living into that. She's living into what is true religion. And because she's living into true religion, her life has had power in that community to transform people around her. But the problem that we have is that she's actually really dead. Like, she's really dead. How do we know this? Because they cleaned her up. Now, I want you to just... I mean, maybe some of you are in the medical industry. You know, if you've ever had to do it, that when you go through the process of taking a body out of the room, it's really easy to tell that that's a body and not a living person. There's some things that happen to a body when it dies. We use, call them now, rigor mortis. are certain signs that this is a body that is actually dead. So for these women to have gone through the process of cleaning her, bathing her, and laying her out, this is a woman who is really actually dead, which is important Because if we're going to talk about what happens next with Peter, there needs to be this understanding. This is not a woman who's in a a short-term coma. This is not a woman who is, you know, simply not doing well. No, she's dead. And so they call in the big guns, right? The disciples find out that Peter's close, so they call in the big guns. Peter, you need to go to Joppa and you need to help Tabitha. But I want you to think about who they're calling. They're calling Peter. Now, we have, we know sort of the end of the story of Peter. In fact, you know your church history. He is considered the first pope of the church. He is considered the, on this rock I will build my church. That's Peter. But what had happened, <laughs> what had happened the night of Christ's crucifixion? The denial, right? How much of that denial is faith, right? Was he living into into his faith the night of the denial? Of course not. And yet, the big gun that the church is calling in to live into faith in Jesus Christ is the exact guy who had said, I don't even know him, doggone it. And I say that to ask you this question. Have you ever thought that you weren't worthy of God's love, power, and presence? Anyone? You know your story, don't you? You know the places, the dark spaces, the activities that you have been a part of that have taken you deeply away from God. You know the thoughts that very few other people know. You know the actions that no one else knows about. You know the, 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 the places where if anyone knew, you would be rejected. And certainly, if God lived in all of those spaces in your life, you would say, I don't know that he can love me. Well, here in this story, we have a guy who has lived in that exact space. It's all been laid bare. He denied Christ three times, in fact, with strong swear words. And yet, not far into the future, like literally in the Bible, it's like seven pages, eight pages. He's being called on as the big gun of faith. So friends, for us to ever say that phrase, am I worthy of God's love? For us to then remember, Peter. Christ was denied by Peter, and yet he became a pillar of the church of faith. Enough so that the rest of the story happens. And this is not one of those, oh, you know, something good happened. happens. This is one of those, like, death to life stories, right? Verse 39 says this. Peter went with them. And when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with him. So Peter has a choice. Peter has a choice. He can choose to listen to the disciples and go see the dead woman. She's dead. Okay, now, again, Peter is learning here. He's a disciple. He's following Jesus. He's learning. And we can say he's never been involved in the resurrection business before, at least not directly. This is a new place for him. Well, but he has borne witness, right? Because he actually saw this at work. He's just never participated, and he saw it at work with Jesus. But he still has a choice, Peter, now you, the denier of Jesus, three times before the cock crow, you are going to be the one to engage in this work. You ready to go? You ready to do it? Peter has a choice. And he goes. And when God calls us, friends, we all live into that moment of choice. We are all in those spaces and sometimes we don't go into those spaces because it's dangerous or worrisome or scary or big. Or it forces us to be transformed or changed. It forces us to be able to say, we will trust. We will rely. And, and friends, hear me here. Being North American is not of benefit to your faith oftentimes. Do you believe that? A good example being, how many of you do have to pray the Lord's Prayer, give me today my daily bread because you won't have it any other way? How many of you got bread at your house? It's bad on carbs, by the way. I'm just telling you, I'm learning all this stuff right now. Bad on carbs. Don't eat bread. But you got it. Do you need to pray that in order for you to be able to be fed? How many of you have more than $3 in your wallet? How many of you have credit card that you can buy much more than $3 worth of food? We as an affluent North American culture live in a place where faith really isn't necessary oftentimes for us to survive. Especially when we think about the world of the scriptures or the rest of much of our world. Faith is one of those really rare things in our world. Because we don't need to live into it oftentimes, we think. And yet it is the chief call of God to us. So if we don't need to live in faith in order to have daily bread. If we don't need to live into faith to have health Because we have hospitals right down the road that can care for us. Or we have medical insurance. Or we have whatever it is that we have that helps us get healthy. Or the privilege that we have of a community that loves and supports us. That we're not isolated or persecuted or forgotten. Living into that world doesn't begot faith very easily. So when it does come, friends, we have to jump on it. We have to relish it. In those moments when you feel the unsettledness of God, where you sense that God is moving and speaking to you and calling you towards something Whether it is a transformation in your life, whether it is a conversation that can be a blessing to the kingdom, whether it is an expression of the gifts or abilities that He is giving in given to you to live into that place is a pearl for you to cherish because so much of our lives doesn't need that sort of faith. And I I do regret that. That's I think the reason sometimes why the Western church is in a state of decline and why places like China, why is the Chinese church growing? You think they maybe need a little bit more faith in China, in parts of Africa, parts of Indonesia? I think of some of the churches in in the Sudan and other parts of Africa that are rife with with violence, religious violence. And for you to be a follower of Jesus in those contexts, do you think that maybe faith is a big key or player? And that as the faith of the community has to grow because it's all you got, the church grows with it? Think there might be a connection? When we have those opportunities to live into faith for us to grab onto them. Because when that faith comes in its fullness of fruit, it's beautiful. Let's see how beautiful it is. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and he prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known over all Joppa and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Now, first of all, it's important for us to understand and to be clear, Peter's not a superhero. This is not a magical utterance. Peter's power actually is manifest because he did what it was that God called him to do. He was obedient to Christ. And obedience to Christ connects directly with God's power. So if you're wondering perhaps why God's power is not made manifest in your life, for you to ask the question of yourself, am I in obedience to what he has called me to do? Because if you and I are not in obedience to what God has called us to do, then we're not connected to his essence for us, that essence of power that comes living in that intimate, obedient relationship with him. Because Peter was healing naturally came out of him. He was tapped into the power of God because he was being the person that God called him to be. Not only was he being the person that God called him to be when he had a choice, he followed God's purpose and not his own. He didn't put a checklist and say pros and cons. God's way, my way. He went... And he did what it was that he was called to do. And in doing that, tapped in, close, intimate relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And God's power was made manifest then in the healing. This is not a superhero Peter. This is still the Peter of denial. But he's connected to who God is. And it's the important Point for us to be able to take away is, friends, and I've said this many times to individuals. I don't know that I've said it from the pulpit very much. I think I said it already today, but I want you to hear this. This is the the fundamental message of this morning. God always answers faith. Always. 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 How often does God answer faith? Okay. Now I know what you're saying. You're thinking in your head. I got an argument. Here's my argument. I was there when somebody prayed to be healed. They prayed fervently to be healed, and unfortunately, they still died. So where was God? Why didn't he answer my faith? I would say this. God still answered your faith. He just didn't answer it in a way that you were expecting. He didn't answer it in the way perhaps that you wanted, but he answered it in a way that grew the kingdom, that created glory for him in some other way. And that's hard to hear, especially for some who have, have wept because those prayers of healing went unanswered. They long to see this this person that they loved or this situation redeemed so that the story of God's miracle of healing a body could be healed. But I wonder if some of those folks who have those feelings have seen maybe what God did with that story or in their relationship. Or in another way or another place. Or maybe it's just so impossible to see right now. We're not even sure. But God is still at work with that story in a way. that His glory is growing. If there is faith exhibited by God's people, God always answers it. He just answers it according to his form and fashion. In his timing and for his glory. Not ours. Which means, friends, for us to be challenged to continue to exhibit faith. And yet being also able to say these words. They actually sound biblical. I don't know. They might have been uttered by Jesus. Thy will be done. May you, O oh God, do this. For your glory and for your purpose. And thy will be done. Now. I just want to close with this sort of idea, image, and then I got something else I want to share. So I want you to picture the widows. <laughs> picture the ladies who had been showing Peter the, the clothing that Dorcas, that Tabitha had made for them. They thought they were going out of the room. Peter sent them out of the room. Maybe he had to pray. Maybe he had to commit her body to the Lord or whatever it was. And then all of a sudden, Peter shows up at the door and he's holding the hand of this woman. Could you imagine what that must have felt like for those ladies? Yesterday, there was a funeral here. Unfortunately, since I was in Michigan, I couldn't be here. I got here last night. Jan Brinkman, faithful servant of the church. What do you think would have happened yesterday if people showed up for the memorial and Jan was standing at the door ready to shake their hand? Would we as a people be able to say all glory to God? I mean, I I know we would, but we would be absolutely flabbergasted that God would do such a thing. Do you think that that might ever happen in the life of this church? Do you think that that will ever happen? Right now, Gene Zavenbergen, Gene Zavenbergen's not far. He's going to go see Jesus soon. I got a text from Jerry just before service. They're concerned they won't be able to do chemo. Okay? And I love Gene. Just thinking about him, I get tears. It won't take long. But if Gene were to breathe his last in the hospital, do you think there could be a possibility that he could be resurrected from the dead? Do we, though? It sounds an awful lot like we're talking about a roller coaster to the moon. Our first answer might be, No. And our second answer might be, but. But we worship a God who has incredible possibility. Now, I am not saying this, to encourage you to think that Gene's going to show up at his own funeral. He's not with Jesus yet anyway, so we don't need to go there. But what I do want you to understand is, this is the God that you love. And this is the Christ who died for you. And this is the Spirit who is with you always, even to the very end of the age. The one who did this to this woman in this place, thus, so that widows would be flabbergasted by the miracle. And it is possible. It's a yes and. And friends, that's a faith-growing edge for us. I want you to ask this question when the Spirit moves in your life. Am I being a no-but person? I I did it again. Did it again. Or am I being a yes-and person? Because yes-and is the Spirit. Yes, and is the faith edge. Yes, and is the place where God, who has all riches, all blessing, all life, all hope for us, is waiting, saying, be with me, obey me, live in intimacy with me, and my power will show through you when every time we manifest faith. May that challenge us in the week ahead. And may you ask that question each time the spirit moves. That you and I might be yes and. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being a God of yes and a God of and. And that is certainly hard because it's in your way, in your time, in your Form in your fashion, and that's complex, and that's hard for us. And I know, Lord, there are stories even in this place of people struggling with that, of wondering how is it that this story that I'm in right now, this moment, is going to be a manifestation of God's presence and God's healing and God's hope. Lord, I pray that you Equip us, challenge us, move us to be living in that union with your spirit, with with you in obedience. And Lord, as then you call us to faith, that we as Aeneas did immediately engage with you, immediately follow you. That we might experience this incredible story of life coming from death. However that's going to happen, Lord, equip us to that end. Challenge us, and Lord, if nothing else, may we understand that you always do answer faith. You always have, and you always will, just in your way. Lord, that, may that equip us. to great courage, and to move forward in our lives, trusting more in you than we do ourselves, and being able to say, Lord, your will be done. We pray these things all in Christ.